Welcome into the Thunder Basketball Universe. We're back and we're talking all things Lou Dort in today's episode. The jump he made offensively from his rookie to sophomore season and the way he continued to build on his already punishing defense. Let's just get right to it. It's the Thunder Basketball Universe. We are back. It might not have seemed like it, but the TBU crew has been away for a little over a week. We've taken some time back to recharge and, and, and get back ready to, to take on the rest of this off season. And we, it's kind of strange that all of our vacations kind of overlap the way that they did. So Gallo, what have you been up to this, these past few days? Yeah. So, well, over the 4th of July weekend, uh, my wife, Maddie, and our daughter, nine-month-old daughter, Camelia, and I went up to Chicago and then over to Iowa. We saw some extended family on my, my wife's side, and uh, we took the baby to a, just a whole host of different things. We uh, took her to the zoo, took her to uh, the Field of Dreams field. We took her to a, uh, a Cubs-Phillies game at Wrigley Field. She was a champ. We did all that stuff, new parent stuff. Since the pandemic, there haven't been that many opportunities to just get out and about and to really put um, Camellia in some of those situations. So it's been, it was really fun and great to, to spend the 4th of July uh, up in that area and Chi-Town, the Windy City. It's always a, a great place to be in the summertime. It sounds like it. But what I love the most is seeing on your Instagram, the Camellia World Tour and just seeing <laughs> everywhere that she is going. <laughs> as this young baby, seeing the world for the first time. But not just Gallo, our very own producer, Matt Bishop, he got away as well. Okay, you got to tell us a little bit about your vacation too. Okay, well, I went to uh, visit a lifelong friend down in Daytona Beach. But as I'm preparing for the trip, I'm watching the Weather Channel, and there's a hurricane coming in. So uh, keeping my eye on that. Luckily, I flew into Orlando, and we came in uh, behind it. It was just to the north. But as it moved north, there was a tail that extended down. Actually, it was all the way up in Maine. And there was like this line of rain that just extended down and it kept training over Daytona like the whole time I was there. But uh, luckily on the last day, we got enough daylight to play um, some football on the beach with a canopy set up. Just had a great time. And then later on, ate some oysters, calamari, buffalo shrimp. So after all that, I said I was just glad to be out for a little bit and um, had a great trip. So. There you go. What is it? Most of it. You, you can take the storm chaser out of Oklahoma, but he's still going to chase some storms no matter where he is, huh? Well, it's great because like the day I got there, my buddy, he actually lives in Jacksonville and he was coming to pick me up. They had a tornado that day and he missed like where it went. He was just there like five minutes prior. So I was like, yeah, I'm bringing it with me. And then yeah. <laughs> when I got back to Oklahoma was Saturday and we had that big old line of storms come in. So, yeah. I mean, uh. follow me out there and follow me back. So crazy. <laughs> Harris, you were, you were gone too. Tell I us was. about your trip. A little, a little less tropical, but did get to go home to Nashville for like the first time in a year and saw the entire Lawson clan. Shout out to the Lawsons and to the newlyweds, the Ali's who just got married. My cousin and her new husband, that was incredible. Got to see the whole family, even went back to Belmont for a little bit. Saw my old stomping grounds, even some new stomping grounds that they just built. Brand new practice facility. Got to see that for the first time. So it was really, really nice to be back home for a nice extended period of time. That was they, cool. roll, they roll out the red carpet for Bruins royalty? Yeah. <laughs> the, the red, white, and blue carpet? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
Well, it was really great to be home, but since I've been back, we have been continuing in our content series, our weekly content series, and this week's feature is on Lou Dort, who is coming off a great season with the Thunder his sophomore year. And Nick, he made quite the jump from his rookie year to his sophomore year. And I think this is kind of true for a lot of the Thunder players this season. They were given a really nice opportunity ahead of them to kind of grow their game and test their ceilings as players. It's one of the things that you point out right off the top in your feature article on Lou is just how much was dropped onto Lou's plate this past year, Paris. And it's something that you do a wonderful job of sort of just explaining how this is a guy that took all of that in stride. He went from 12 months prior, basically not really being sure of his place in the NBA to suddenly being thrust into all of these positions that he's never had to deal with before. I mean, this past 72 game season started, you know, 12 months prior to that, Lou was not on the Thunder roster, really. He was, you know, an OKC Blue player. I'm not sure he'd even played very many games for the Thunder at that point. He hadn't cracked the rotation, become a starter. That didn't happen until January, much later. So, Anyway, all that being said, Lou just, he didn't seem phased by any of the stuff that was thrown at him this year. The ball handling duties, the the need to be more of a scorer and a playmaker, uh, the ability to attack off the bounce, and nobody next to him on the perimeter that had this veteran experience to, to help him be in the right spots defensively. That was all on him now. Yeah, and he that's the mentality that he's had since, I think, being an undrafted player. And we've kind of seen this mentality really just manifest itself in different ways throughout Lou's career and how he's been able to buckle down, keep his head down and just work really hard. Naturally kind of an introverted guy. So he's not going to, you know, be loud. He's not going to like talk a lot, but he does a great job of leading by example and just putting in all of the hard work to get to where he wants to go. And that's what paid off for him from going undrafted to signing a two-way contract with the Thunder, and then from signing a two-way contract with the Thunder to being a starting two-way player as a rookie, and then ultimately signing a full-time deal. So it's really cool to see how that mentality for Lou has paid off for him in all these different areas of his career. Right. And his journey is so inspiring. It's now become such public knowledge. I think there's been a lot of great reporting on it. I think back to one of your first stories, Paris, was- who is Lou? And, and that was a big one. I, I remember that being a big one for your career too, yeah. as you were starting out with the Thunder as well. We were, you know, just a little bit into that that first season of Lou's and first season of yours. And both of you have made such tremendous <laughs> strides. You've really uh, amped up your uh, path so far in, in your short time in the league. And I think we can go through some of the numbers, Paris, and some of the, the ways in which it was so clear that Lou had to take on more of this responsibility. What kind of stood out to you on the offensive side? The, the biggest thing for me, and I mean, it's obvious, but it, it goes from points per game to then like minutes per game. Those are two key indicators to me of the different responsibility that R- Lou had from his rookie season to his sophomore season. And so in his rookie year, he had 6.8 points per game, and but he only played 36 games. But then step into his, his sophomore season and he's averaging 14 points per game and he's started in all 52 games that he played and playing significant more minutes each game. So those are the sort of things that caught me clearly. It's, it's an eye-catching number. Those are like your, your first thing you look at really on a stat sheet. 
but those are massive indicators of the type of responsibility that he had to take on in his second season. Right. And you see those things manifested on the offensive side of the ball, just in terms of the ball being in his hand a lot more. He played a lot of point guard for this team, especially in the second half of the season. He also played more on catches and closeouts and putting the ball on the deck. The big numbers that stand out to me on that are free throws. This is a guy that had a game where he attempted 13 free throws in a game. Mm -hmm. This is a guy that got fouled on three point shots. I mean, a year ago, you would have never seen that happen. He doubled his free throw attempts per game this past season. That is is huge because as a guy that is going to have the ball in his hands, he's a, he's a perimeter player. He's going to have to be able to do that, I think, up above three free throw attempts per game. That's pretty respectable for a guy who also moved his minutes per game up to, as you said, about 29 a night. And um, that's that's something that if he is going to be a guy that can play 30 minutes a night, Mm-hmm. He has to be a threat at all times to do the triple threat. Dribble, shoot, pass, making the next play, attacking the closeout defender. He showed an ability to do that and to be a functional cog within the Thunder's yeah. offense, regardless of who's around him. And let's be realistic. There were stretches during the season where you know his shot wasn't falling. He wasn't you know shooting at the, the three-point clip that he really wanted to. But during that time, he was still useful on the floor. He still was attacking, trying to get downhill. He really expanded his game in terms of being in pick and rolls this season as well, being a facilitator in those sort of situations. And so you could see in real time that Lou was just building his catalog and his kind of repertoire of what he's able to bring to the table when he's out there on the floor on the offensive end. And like you're saying, if you're going to play, if you're going to play 30 upwards of 30 minutes a night, the more versatile, the more playable you can be, the more that you can offer offensively, the better off you're going to be. And Paris, on top of all of that, Lou was taking good shots. He was getting to the rim, taking threes that were within rhythm, really trying to do a lot of the things that he's been groomed for. You know, this is a guy that you know, played under Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. He wanted to be a point guard all along. So these are tools that have been in the Lou Dort toolbox. I remember Mark Dagnalt saying numerous times, like, this is stuff that he was doing in the past. We didn't ask him to do it during his rookie year because we had too many other pieces in place. But they're going to continue to uncover some of these layers of that onion that is Lou Dort. It wasn't just the offensive side of the ball, though, Gallo, where Lou took a step forward this season. We know him as a defensive ace. Everybody in the league understands. That's, that was the, the line on his scouting report since the day that he stepped foot in the NBA. He is a defensive player who is going to give the uh, opponent a lot of trouble on the offensive end. He took steps forward in that area. He didn't let that fall to the wayside this season, which I found really impressive. And we learned during his exit interview that he – the big thing for him was staying out of foul trouble in his sophomore season because his rookie year, he's got quick feet. He's low to the ground, great center of gravity, and he's really good physically, which really helped him stay in front of his defenders or his opponents, but in turn could kind of make him a little bit more susceptible to fouls. And so taking that away in this sophomore season meant taking a step up in kind of the IQ and the preparation and the anticipation side of things. Yeah. He had an incredible 
inverse ratio of fouls per game compared to more minutes played per game. He just fouled two and a half times per game this past season. That was down uh, from his rookie year numbers, despite playing eight more minutes per game. Also, again, kind of assuming that every single night challenge of defending the opposing team's best players. You think about his rookie year. There were some other guys on the perimeter. You think Chris Paul and a variety of others, Dennis Schroeder, who were at times defending the other team's best perimeter player when Lou, you know, took a breather or wasn't, you know, playing as many minutes. That wasn't the case this past season. And so for Lou to to go against the Donovan Mitchells and the Jamal Murrays and these guys night in and night out and actually foul fewer times while Paris drawing our favorite stat, 57 offensive fouls drawn over the course of the season in just 52 games. That's unbelievable. I mean, he was he was just doing an incredible job uh, all season long. I'm glad you brought up Donovan Mitchell because this is one of my favorite Lou Dort highlights of this season. There, I have three of them. I have three of them. This is probably – this ranks probably two. Eh, maybe three. Maybe three. It's definitely top three. But his 42-point performance against Utah in April, obviously a career night in terms of offensive just firepower. It was incredible to watch. All the while, though, he has to check Donovan Mitchell, an all-star for the Jazz, obviously an an elite offensive player. And during that time span, Gallo, you remember, Donovan Mitchell was coming off of, I think, four games where he scored 35 or more points just back-to-back-to-back-to-back. And then Lou Dort has to, you know, go up against him and guard him, but still maintain the energy to attack downhill, to knock down those mid-range jumpers and knock down three-pointers. That that was probably my one of my favorite Lou Dort moments of the season. And you just up and down the roster, you had veterans from Al Horford and George Hill who were on the team and even younger guys like, you know, Ty Jerome, who just gushed about the way that Lou led on the defensive end of the floor. The fact that he just was a sponge every single day trying to learn, you know, just being able to fight through screens the way that he does. There are no players who expend the type of energy that Lou Dort does on a night in night out basis. And the fact that, as you said, he was able to match that with offensive production for a large portion of the year is an extremely encouraging sign as this Thunder team continues to develop and and grow. And he continues to grow alongside of some of these other players like Shaco just Alexander and Darius Baisley. I mentioned that I had three favorite Lou Dort moments. So I feel like I have to, I feel like that was just the cliffhanger. I feel like I have to. Yeah, I mean, we need to hear it. Okay, so number one is the buzzer beater against San Antonio. Of course, you're rooting. You're always rooting for Lou. The the Dort pile. The the Dort pile. pile. Yes, exactly. You love to see it. The second one was it's like my favorite clip of Lou defending LeBron James, hand just like super active. And I know our podcast listeners can't see it, but <laughs> I'm waving my hand in the zoom lens right now. <laughs> those Force, those forcing top- an air ball. Yeah. Forcing an air ball. That was uh, the thunder did not win that game, but that was the highlight of the game. And what people took away from that game was, Oh, Lou Dort is here to compete against LeBron James, mano y mano and didn't get embarrassed. In fact, was the one that, did a really nice job on, on that defensive assignment. And uh, I think, you, as, as we said, there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged by the trajectory of Lou Dort. Fearless. That's Lou. And uh, really confident as well. We've talked about this a little bit, but 
you know, with the trajectory of his career, he had opportunities to just like doubt himself or not have confidence going undrafted or just being a two-way player. But he still believes in himself and he works really hard to believe in himself in those sort of situations. So it was really, really cool to see those moments pay off. And it, it, like you said, really encouraging for the future as well. Here we go. Shea giving it. Pete Horford driving on a portal. Right corner of Dort for three in the lead and wins a tank of Thunder Money Ball. Lucas Dort falls backward in celebration. Mobbed by his teammates. OKC wins it at the buzzer. 102-99 over the Spurs. Well, that was the call that I just mentioned earlier. The call, the buzzer beater from Lou Dort. And that was during the season. Let's shift our attention, Gallo, to what Lou is now looking towards in this offseason. And he's already been a little active. He's already been up to stuff so far this offseason, and one of which is playing for Team Canada. That's right. Three qualifying games for Team Canada. They did not advance uh, to the group stage uh, that will be in Tokyo at the end of this month. But Lou played well. He came off the bench, averaged over six and a half points on 33% from three in those three games, added some assists, some rebounds, some steals. So he did a nice job kind of all around, you know, up over a steal per game in that three game stretch there going against some other big time teams and really just a great opportunity for for Lou. He's so proud of being from Montreal, so proud of his heritage and where he comes from in Montreal Nord that just to, to have him with that opportunity, I think they were playing in Victoria. Uh, Canada was one of the host countries of those qualifying games. So that was really cool for Lou, I, I'm sure. Also worth mentioning, this was the first time in his career that Lou got to represent his home country mm-hmm. in any sort of Olympic trials or, or anything like that. So Really happy for him and one of the many new experiences to just add on to what he's already experienced in this second season. But one other thing that we learned during his exit interviews, he wasn't too forthcoming with specific areas of his game that he wanted to work on. But there was one thing in particular that stuck with me about what he has as a goal for himself moving into his third season now. And that's being more of a vocal leader. And like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Lou's naturally introverted. And in fact, Gallo, when I did that story on Lou, his rookie season, the who is Lou story, I remember talking to the blue head coach, Coach Grant Gibbs, and he talked about, you know, Lou's a quiet guy. He's not super loud, but what he maybe doesn't say with his words, he expresses with his hard work and his energy and his activity on the floor. But now Lou has this, this goal in mind to want to also be a vocal leader as well. Yeah, that maybe doesn't necessarily come the most naturally to him. But I think that there's a long history in the NBA of guys who maybe don't say that much, but when they do talk, everybody shuts up and listens. And and I could see Lou being that type of guy. You know, he talks about the off season, you know, it's, it's for this kind of development of how can I add more things to my game? A lot of times that's ball handling and shooting and all of that stuff. But also it's, you know, maybe watching some film and noticing some times where he could have said something to somebody or thinking back or in playing pickup and realizing, Hey, you know, maybe if I do it, if, if I chat a little bit more here um, might be able to make an impact and make a difference. So I, I think that's really cool that Lou at such a young age is thinking so holistically about himself as a player, not just 
the the skill set, not just whether he's got the in and out dribble, not whether he's got a, a step back three. He's thinking about okay, how can I impact my teammates just as much as impacting my my own professional self. And he was already leading by example, right? I mean, that defensive right. energy that's contagious. I mean, I was up there, you know, rooting him on and and you know <laughs> wanting to get it on the action from the broadcast booth. So I can only imagine what that did for his teammates. And now layering on this extra layers, I could see that being impactful for Lou and teammates as well. You know, Gal, the other thing that's really encouraging about Lou and has really always been encouraging about Lou is his approach has remained the same regardless of what his status was on the roster, what his role was on the team. He still had the same kind of approach to his improvement, his development, and how he achieves his personal goals as a player. And how he talks about all of that stuff too. I mean, that's the, that's our job as reporters is to try to get an insight on how are these guys thinking about themselves and about the team and about their arc and, and all of that. And we've talked about, you you mentioned Lou being a leader by example. And, and the guy that leads is the guy that's doing the right thing at, at any given time. And so to your point, Paris, like as we all emerge out of a pandemic season and a guy like Lou that's heading into his third year where he experienced half of a normal NBA season, half of the weirdest NBA season of all time, uh, an almost full NBA season that was very, very different due to you know pandemic and, and COVID guidelines. Now he's going to be coming into a situation that again, is somewhat uncertain. What is the NBA going to look like in the 21-22 season? Is it going to be back to business as usual completely, regardless of what the answers to any of those questions are, regardless of who the teammates are alongside him on the floor, maintaining that consistent approach on and off the floor, which is something he's done throughout all of this uncertainty he's faced so far, continuing to do that as he's coming into his own, as he's continuing to gain more confidence, that is going to be absolutely critical. I'm really excited to see the type of player that Lou is when he comes back, because if he maintains all of that, if he stays within himself, uh, he's going to be a really, really special guy. Before we let you go, we got to keep you up to date on everything coming down the pipeline. And the first thing to mark your calendars, it's the Olympics. They start officially on July 24th. But for those keeping up with Thunder players, Gabby Deck will be representing Argentina. And their first game is going to be July 25th. And you might want to sleep in a little bit that day. You might want to have a couple of, you know, coffee, a little cup of coffee standing by because that game is going to be at 11.45 Central Time. And that game is against Slovenia. Yeah. So Oklahoma City is 14 hours behind Tokyo. So these are going to be some games at some strange times. There's one at seven o'clock in the morning. So you can get up early with me and watch that one. And <laughs> uh, yeah, just just keep an eye on Gabriel Deck. This is, uh, he's a perfect example of a guy who has utilized these national team opportunities to the best of his ability. It's really helped him leverage a, a career in the NBA we're seeing other Thunder players, you know, like Lou, who we talked about, uh, try to do the same thing. And it's just such a prideful moment, prideful opportunity for a guy like Gabby, who came from such a tiny town in Argentina to be all the way across the world in a different hemisphere up in Tokyo, representing his country. On the biggest world stage 
it is so great to see these guys' dreams come true. It's so fun to watch. So I do recommend staying up late or getting up early and watching these games. Would recommend. The next thing on the calendar that we have circled, that's July 29th, and that is the 2021 NBA Draft. The Thunder has a ton of picks in this draft, including three first-rounders, three in the top 18, actually. Number six, number 16, and number 18. We'll see how many players they bring back to Oklahoma City out of this draft, but either way, in the buildup, Paris, you and I, everybody at OKCThunder.com, we're going to have a ton of content for you. We're going to have uh, an opportunity to listen to some of our players and, and what they have had to say about their experiences on draft night, some of their memories and some of um, what that meant to them to be drafted. Also some great perspective from Thunder General Manager Sam Presti on his approach to the draft and, and particularly this draft. He has a ton of experience, a, a great track record. And you know this is a, an exciting night. It's, it's one of those great nights for any NBA fan. There are a ton of opportunities for Thunder players to improve themselves and improve, uh, help improve the team in turn over the course of the year. But this is a highly specific and a high profile night. And so uh, I know Thunder fans all over the globe are going to be tuning in to see uh, who's coming to OKC. And I would also direct those Thunder fans to, like you said, OKCThunder.com and the Thunder Basketball Universe, because you know we've got you covered on everything that you're going to need to know. And that is all for today's podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much to our producer. And until next time, thunder up and catch you later.